Welcome to the Gathering at Edo. Today's message by Pastor Jeff Hopkins is from our Advent series, and it's titled Faith. You know, today's the second Sunday of Advent. You might not know what that is. That might not be like a term that you're familiar with. Me too, sometimes. You know, I'm like, I I don't know. You know, what is Advent? And so, you know, Advent is this season. There's four Sundays leading up until Christmas, December 25th. And uh, Advent is a time where we contemplate and we celebrate, where, where we slow down, we give God the glory, we celebrate, you know, his and we rest in his faithfulness. We, re- we celebrate Christ's coming into the world and we, we rejoice in the promise of his return. So we contemplate, we slow down, and we celebrate the gift that Jesus is to us. That is counterculture. Can I tell you all that right now? Christmas time is what the world celebrates at this point. And it's marked by busyness, running around like a chicken with its head cut off, losing your ever-loving mind, right? You're driving down the freeway to go buy gifts for people and you're yelling at people because they're speeding and cutting you off and all of a sudden you've lost the purpose of this because we're in a hurry. We gotta go take care of this, this, and this and we've got four Christmases and we gotta go have a meal here, here, and here. But that's what the world celebrates. The world celebrates the material possessions. The world celebrates, look at what I have acquired. But Advent is a time where the church celebrates, a time where we slow down and we celebrate the gift that Jesus is to us. Now, am I going to speed this week? Probably. Am I going to be busy this week? Probably. Am I going to buy myself a gift and other people a gift? Yes. More for me, probably. I love myself. But but the focus of this season, why, why are we taking this time to slow down and to celebrate? It's because we, it's so easy. The world is so good at advertising. The world is so good at making us feel inadequate with, our, with just time being a present, right? And so we have to be able to slow down and go, okay, wait a minute. All of these things are nice. All of these things are fun. But what is the real reason? What is the real purpose of this season? And so why don't we just take a moment and just take a deep breath and let's refocus, all right, before we get started in the word. So Father, we come before you today. There's no rush. There's no hurry, not just today, but for this whole season, there's no rush. We just want to rest in your goodness and your faithfulness. We want to celebrate the gift of your son. We want to rejoice in his coming and his return. Father, I pray that you would teach us today from your word. We love you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can I just do that for you? Can I remove all expectations that people have on you? You don't have to be anything that they're saying that you have to be. Slow down, rest, celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ. Today is the second Sunday, and we're going to talk about faith. Last week was the first Sunday of Advent. We talk about hope. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting that at the end of the Old Testament, 
Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament, uh, Matthew, is a 400 years of separation of time, right? Like our Bible just doesn't cover that. The reason is because God did not speak to his people for 400 years. No leadership, no direction, no purpose, no do this, this, and this. There was 400 years of silence from the Lord. It's interesting too, like if you look, do you know how long, you'll probably get this, it's not that hard to make a connection. Do you know how long that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt? 400 years. 400 years they were slaves in, in Egypt and then the Lord brought Moses to deliver his people out of slavery. There was 400 years of silence and then you know what? God spoke and he brought his son Jesus to deliver us out of slavery, to deliver us out of bondage and into freedom. You see, there's a purpose for the 400 years. It's not just, oh, coincidence, here we go. But it's 20 generations of people that never heard the voice of the Lord. Can you imagine that? 20 generations. Like we have these funny stories that we tell of our family, you know, and, and oh, hey, your grandpa was this and that. And that's kind of, it's even hard to connect that because I, I don't remember my grandpa obviously being a young boy, you know, but people tell you stories. and and But can you imagine I know even less about my great-grandfather. I know even less about my great-great-grandfather. I know nothing four generations back. But can you imagine 20 generations that never heard the voice of the Lord? But there's hope. When he spoke, he brought hope. Why? Because it says that we were aliens. We were foreigners in a land that was not our own. But now... We've been adopted into a family that now we are sons. And if we're sons, then we're co-heirs with Christ. So there's a reason for hope. Even in the middle of COVID, even in the middle of financial disaster, even in the middle of all the things that are going on, there's hope because we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So today, it's hope. I sat down Monday morning. I'm not a very uh, scheduled kind of guy. Like my iPhone tells me where I'm supposed to be and when and who I'm supposed to be with. And so, you know, uh, on Monday morning, like 630, it says sermon prep. All right. So I'm getting used to being a full-time pastor uh, that preaches every Sunday. And it is amazing how quickly Sunday rolls around. Can I tell y'all that right now? It's amazing. Like, y'all are out there living your best life, and on Saturday night, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's tomorrow, you know? And so Monday morning, set a, set a, a, a uh, appointment sermon prep, all right? I'm just going to knock it out, start working on it. And uh, all right, this week, it's hope, our, our faith. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Didn't, isn't that, you know, start research. I'm like, isn't that just what we talked about, hope? And hope and faith the same, aren't they? And, and, you know, so I started like reading into it. The Lord brought me to obviously Hebrews uh, chapter 11. But, you know, hope is a, a confident anticipation of something good in the future. You know, I hope one day that the Longhorns will be good again. That's, that's a confident anticipation because they're, they're, they're nowhere near that. But it's I'm confident. But faith is the source of that hope. Like, faith is knowing who God is and knowing who I am and knowing the certainty of him and his promises. So faith is the reason that I can have hope. Hope is that excitement. Yes, it's going to happen. I can't wait for this. And why can I wait for this? Why can I have hope? Because of what faith is. 
Hope looks to the promise. Faith looks to the promiser. Hope looks to the gift. Faith looks to the giver. Hope is the feeling that something good is coming your way, but faith comes from serving, from seeing Jesus rightly. Faith comes from, why can I have hope? Because I have faith of who God is. Because I see Jesus rightly. I see Jesus seated on a throne, right? Even in the middle of a pandemic, whether it, whatever your beliefs on that are or not, but in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of financial crisis, in the middle of not feeling well, in the middle of war and rumors of war and all of oil shortage and high gas prices and supply chain issues, in the middle of it, Jesus is seated on the throne. He never got taken off the throne. Not only did he never get taken off the throne, he's not worried, he's not afraid, he's not shaken. He is still firmly seated on the throne. And that is why we can have faith because I see him for who he is. And that is why we have hope because I know that he is who he says he is. And I know that I am who he says that I am because the enemy is a liar. He tries to tell you that you're no good. He tries to tell you that Jesus doesn't love you. He tries to tell you that he can't use somebody like you. But all of a sudden when you dig into the faith of who God is and you dig into who God says you are into his word, all of a sudden you begin to see yourself in a new light. And so why can I have faith even in the middle of trying times? It's because I know who God is, because I see him rightly, and I know who I am. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of of what is not seen. You see, I'm, I'm not talking about concepts and theologies and ideas. I'm talking to you about reality. I don't live in concepts and ideas. What I'm talking about is faith is it's the reality. Even if I'm not walking in it, it's still the reality that I have faith of who he is. He is seated on a throne. He is high and lifted up. He ascended into heaven. He was given the name above all names, that at his name, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow its, name, its knee at his name. You see, that's the reality. Whether you believe it or not, whether it fits into your box or not, whether it's the theology that you love, it doesn't matter because it's the truth. So why can we have faith? Because faith is the foundation. You can rip down all of this and the foundation stays. Faith is the foundation that our hope springs up from. Our faith provides the solid foundation for me to live my life. There's been many times in my life where if my faith was not my foundation, all hope would have been lost. Joy would have been absent and peace would have been unthinkable. There's many times I have, a, I have a great life, eight wonderful kids, a beautiful wife that loves me, a great family that supports me, but there's been many times in my life where that might not have been the case. There's been many times where I've been tried and tested. And if my faith was not the foundation, then it would have been all over for me. I'm sure that's true for everyone here. You know, I don't know everything that y'all been through. I don't know every detail. I don't know every struggle. But I know that the enemy hates you. I know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I can't speak to every situation that you've gone through. But what I know is that you're here today. 
Praise the Lord. That's something to be thankful for. You hear today that even in the middle of an enemy that hates you, to still kill and destroy that our God is for us. He is not against us. He is good and his promises are true. We're going to look at the faith of Abraham. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. I'm regretting turning down, turning up the air for some of y'all. It's a little warm up here. <laughs> Genesis chapter 12. I'll let you guys get there. First book of the Bible. You should be able to get it right past the index, table of contents. Big 12, little one. You ready? Here, here it goes. It says, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And it says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He says, leave everything. You will be a great nation. And you will be a great bla a blessing. This morning, it's one man's faith journey that we're going to look at, Abram. But it applies to every one of us. And, and if you'll stick with me. You'll be encouraged and you'll understand why is it crucial to understand this. You see, after God spoke this to Abram, who later becomes Abraham, it wasn't just like, okay, here we go. Everything's great. You left. Here you go. Uh, there's your kids. Here's a great nation. Here's all your blessings. No. See, Abram was 75 when the Lord spoke the word to him. Sarah, his wife, was 65. Said, all right, hey, I want you to leave everything. Your land, your family, which some of y'all would be like, yeah, let's do that. I'm ready for that. But he, he probably liked his family, right? And I want you to leave everything that you're comfortable with. And I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. I mean, can you imagine what that would look like? You know? And so it doesn't just go that easy. He, he sends them out to a land. They go, he goes to Canaan, right? Then all of a sudden, what? There's a great famine, Right? Can you imagine that the, the faith of Abraham right there going, okay, Lord, what is this? You told me to leave, I left, and now I'll go to a land and it's got a famine. So he leaves that land, he goes to Egypt. He goes to Egypt as they're approaching. He looks at himself, he looks at his wife. He says, hey, you're pretty, right? They're gonna like you, they're gonna kill me and take you. So why don't we just do this thing where you act like you're my sister? And Sarah's like, okay. That's fine. We want to live. So they go there and meet the Egyptians, right? I mean, y'all probably know this story. Pharaoh's like, hey, everybody tells Pharaoh, hey, look at this. There's a beautiful 65-year-old lady out there. Probably looks a little different than our 65-year-old ladies or, you know, not going to offend anybody. Please, Lord. All right? She's pretty. Everyone, the, the, it's, the word has got out. 
They say, hey, she's my sister. All right, whatever. So all of a sudden, there's a plague, right? Because Pharaoh's going to take her as his wife. Now there's a plague on Pharaoh and his entire household. So they say, hey, you got to get out of here. So the journey's not starting great, right? So then he leaves there. They go to another place. Uh, Abram and Lot, they separate and because uh, the land got too, the, their cattle and all that got too much for the land. So they leave. God comes to Abraham, says, hey, Here's the covenant that we're going to make. So God makes a covenant with Abraham, or it's Abram at the time still. And, you know, once again, he emphasizes, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. There's a point in there. Everybody understands the point where Sarah laughs, but there's actually a point where uh, Abram laughs at, at that, you know. And he's like, how can you do that? I'm an old guy. How are you going to give me a kid? Doesn't really work out well for him, so they still don't have a kid. So all of a sudden... Uh, Sarah's like, okay, I'm getting too old for this. If this promise is really going to happen, why don't you be with uh, my slave girl, Hagar, right? And y'all can make this promise happen, right? Because obviously God has forgotten about us. I was 65 at the time. Now I'm older. Not going to happen. And so they do that. Abram's like, okay, Abram has that, has a kid. Still not the right way to do it, right? I mean, you go through all these things. And it's easy for us to look back and go, Bro, what were you thinking? But we know the end. We know the, we, we know the result. We know that God's faithfulness. We see God's timing and all of it. But can you imagine? I mean, people have sold houses re recently, right? You're like, the, what if the Lord just told you, hey, pack up everything you got, put it the, and I'll just tell you where to go. Like, I don't have a house for you. I don't have an RV. I don't have a land. Just go, and, I, and we'll figure it out as we go. That's not too comforting, is it? Right? Like, no, that doesn't sound like fun. But Abram had a choice to make. You see, we know the end, so it's easy for us. But Abram had a choice. He, he had to say, am I going to believe that God is able to do what he says he will do? And am I going to believe that I am who God says I am? He had to answer those two questions. And that's the same two questions that you and I have to answer. Because, yes, he spoke to Abram, and he had promises for him. But he's spoken to you. He has a promise for you. He has a hope for you. He has a future for you. He has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for you. And you're going to have to ask yourself, do I believe God to do what he says he can do? And do I believe that I am who God says I am? The first practical application, there's three practical applications today. One is faith over fear. God told Abram to leave everything, land, family, and friends. I can just put myself in his shoes, and if the Lord told me to do that today, there would be some fear in the Hopkins household. Can you believe that? There's eight of us, although one is married, so now there's only seven kids, but can you imagine if the Lord said to do that today? Can I tell you that the faith level of your pastor would be very tested, right? Like load up and go. Like I, it would be very difficult. Fear is crippling to our faith. Fear tries to paralyze and immobilize you. Fear prevents you from walking in your purpose and your destiny. But faith will empower you to walk out his promises. Fear tries to cripple you, to paralyze you 
from walking in your purpose and destiny. But faith will empower you to walk out his promises for your life. We cannot let fear dictate our choices. There there were a thousand reasons for Abram to stay. There are a thousand reasons for you to not encourage someone at the grocery store, to not tithe, to not pray for the lost kids and spouses, to not believe for healing, to not share the gospel. There's a thousand reasons for you to not come to church, to not forgive someone that hurts you, to not pray as a family, to not live open-handed with your possessions, to not read the Bible, to not do the difficult things he has called you to do, to not believe he is good. There's a thousand reasons to not do what he's asked you to do. Fear will cripple you. Fear will remind you of all the things. Hey, don't encourage that person at the grocery store. They're going to think that you're a fool. You might be wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Who are you to talk to someone like that? Hey, fear will tell you not to tithe, not to give, not to be open-handed with your possessions. What if you lend out a chainsaw and they break it? What's going to happen, right? What if I tithe and all of a sudden I'm short at the end of the month? What if I see a person in need and if I give to them, what if I'm short at the end of the month? Fear will cripple you from walking in what God has called you to walk in. What if I don't want to pray as a family because my kids are going to see right through me. They're going to see that I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what that looks like. I don't understand what it looks like to look to pray as a family, right? I, I know the Lord's called me to leave my job and to go start a company. I know that he's called me to do something else, but I can't because fear will cripple you from walking out your purpose and your destiny. If we're going to be like Abram, if we're going to be a man of faith who it says that it was credited to him as righteousness because he believed, then we're going to have to let fear find its proper place, which has no place in faith. Faith is over fear every time. When the Lord speaks something to you, you can't try to reason it or logically explain it because it doesn't apply. Faith does not go by reason and logic. Faith operates outside of that because faith is outside of time as God is outside of time. God doesn't need, I know it can be hard to think about leaving your job and going and doing something else that the Lord's called you to. And you're like, but man, this the Lord really provides. And can he provide in another way? Or is he only limited by your ability? Is he only limited to by what you think that he can do? You see, fear will cripple you. Logic, the Lord will speak a word to you, and all of a sudden fear will reason you right out of it. God's not asking you to do a lot of things. All he's asking you to do is to be obedient. And fear will argue you out of it every time. Fear is a liar. When God speaks, just be obedient. It's really that simple. I love how Abram, I mean, probably tasked with something greater than any of us have ever been tasked with. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. (laughs) Right? Mary, right? Hey, you're going to have a virgin birth like it's never been done before. Here we go. We're going to do that. And Mary, her response is, let it be done to me as you have said. (laughs) What? There wasn't a time to go, but wait a minute, I'm not married. But wait a minute, what are people going to think about me? But wait a minute, I can't do this. I'm only a young girl. How am I going to raise a a boy by myself? Faith, Faith overcomes fear every time. Practical application number two. 
I, I mean to say this all the time. I, I, we have kids that, that run around moving about. It doesn't bother us. So it, 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 it shouldn't bother you. I know it can be a little bit distracting. And one of them's mine. Sometimes I'll pop him in the head if he gets too active. But I want you to know, like, hey, let your kids run around. It's fun. We've got it. It's going to be great. Number two is faith over doubt. Faith over fear. Faith over doubt. I'm going to make you a great nation is what he promised Abram. Now, can you imagine a great nation? He's 75. He has no kids. His wife, although very beautiful, is 65, no kids. How is this going to happen? There's a time where when the Lord speaks, all right, got it. I'm not afraid. I'll follow the Lord. That's great. And then all of a sudden, after you take about 10, 15 steps, it's like, wait a minute. Did Maybe he didn't really say that. Maybe, maybe that was just me thinking this, right? Remember, how, how was Eve tempted in the garden, right? It wasn't like this big, like, stop sign warning. No, the, the enemy just said, well, did God really say that? And she's like, you know, I really don't know now. Maybe he didn't. Doubt will creep in. Doubt will muddy our faith. It, it's like fog. Doubt Somebody should help me. Like, what's the opposite of purify? What's, Travis, you're smart. What is, like, huh? contaminate. There you go, right? Like, doubt will contaminate our faith. It makes it foggy and muddy so that it's not pure. And all of a sudden, we can't see and hear things like the Lord has commanded. Because all of a sudden, it's like, well, did God really say that? Well, do you think he really meant for me to say that? Even though when he spoke it, it was clear as day. And now, all of a sudden, you start to walk it out, and you, you run into a couple of doors, and you're like, ah, man, I don't know, maybe this isn't what, what he had for me. You know, our faith journey is not without bumps along the way. I mean, you know, we talked about Abram, not, not only once, but twice did he present Sarah as his sister. Right? He laughed at the thought of him having a kid at an old age. Sarah laughed at the thought of herself having a kid at an old age, Right? Then you had the whole thing with uh, his servant, right? And so it's like, there are bumps along the road in our faith journey, but they, can only, they are only small hiccups. They don't define it all. We're going to get into this when the Lord calls you to this. All of a sudden, doubt's going to try to creep in. Doubt's going to try to contaminate your faith. But what the Lord is calling us to is to renew our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Because what that does is that purifies your faith. You don't need to pray for more faith. The Bible says that each man is given a measure of faith. And if the Lord has given you a measure of faith, it's good enough. You don't need to pray for more. All you need to pray for is that the Lord would purify your faith by the renewing of your mind. Okay, well, I thought this was good, but all of a sudden I've let doubt creep in because I haven't seen it. But it's purified. Our faith is purified when we renew our mind to who God is and to who he says we are. We, we are not, our faith is not defined by what's going on around, around us in the world around us. What's going on around us does not affect whether my faith is solid or not. My foundation is on who God is and who he says I am, not on my bank account, not on what kind of car I drive, not on how many friends I have, not as long as the bills are paid. You see, that doesn't matter. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, what is seen is temporary, but what is not seen is eternal. 
You see that we live in the lesser reality of things right now. It says that the things that are seen are temporary. What is unseen is eternal. So my faith can be contaminated with doubt by what I see. But just like Joanna said, just because what I see isn't what I think and what I believe, I'm not going to let it affect me. Because my faith is not on what I see. It doesn't matter what happens in the natural. We've built everything in this earth around what happens in the natural. But it is temporary. It is going to waste away. The greater reality is what is unseen. Is the kingdom that is eternal. The kingdom that was before the foundations of the earth. The kingdom that has no beginning or no end. That is what the greater reality is. Because it doesn't matter what's going on around us. My faith is firm and solid on who he is and who I am. I am, who he says I am. We live by faith, not by sight. And that's why. Because the world does a great job of telling you that you don't measure up, that you don't have enough, you don't measure up enough, you're not enough. The, the bank account says it's not enough. But we live by faith, not by sight. It doesn't matter what's going on. Uh, we, we've had lots of, lots of car troubles, nothing really major, just little annoyances and inconveniences. And it's like, okay, Lord, what is seen as temporary. I can worry and I can stress about how to pay for it all or how to get 19 people around in, in two cars now, you know, like instead of one that fits us all. I can worry about that. Or I can trust that he's good. And if my car's down, my car's down, he always provides. Whether it's something or someone, he always provides. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Don't allow what's happening around you to contaminate your faith. Purify your faith with the renewing of your mind on who he is and who he says he is. Last one, then we're getting out of here. Practical application number three. Faith over impatience. Faith over fear, faith over doubt, faith over impatience. This is one that no one wants to hear about, right? Like, wait a minute, huh? They were impatient. They were going to make things happen themselves. Hey, here we go. The Lord spoke this, but he's taken way too long. Can I tell you one thing? God is never late but he's very rarely early. He's never late. His timing is perfect. His word is true. It does not return void. It accomplishes the task that it sets out. And it might seem like he's late, but that's because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. He is never late. He knows everything that goes on in your life. And he's never late. He shows up at the right time every time. Impatience causes you to settle for less than God has for you. Impatience causes you to settle for less than God has for you. You want to go out and do it on your own? You know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to say, do it. Let's see what you got, bud. And he's going to allow you to do that. But he's going to be right there for you with a ring and a robe like the prodigal son. He's going to welcome you back. He's going to have a fattened calf to slaughter with you. And there's going to be a party. Because the Lord's timing is true and it's perfect. 
God told Abram he would have many descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky. But as Abram grew older without a child, they grew impatient and they settled for less than God had for them. Here's a concept that's really changed my way of thinking. A lot of times we say that we're waiting on God to do something. And the Lord just spoke to me and he said, it's not waiting on me, it's waiting with me. Because there's an excitement and there's an anticipation that builds in our hearts when we're waiting on the Lord to do something, when we're waiting with him. When we're waiting on the Lord, you know what it, you know what it breeds inside of us? An entitlement issue. We're just sitting here, well, you said, you said you'll take care of me. And I'll just sit here and wait like we have no responsibility, nothing to do with it. But when we begin to wait with the Lord, all of a sudden we begin to pray into that thing. We begin to build excitement and thankfulness and joy begins to grow in our hearts instead of just sitting there just waiting. Like, all right, Lord, when are you going to do this? Have you noticed like your heart towards the Lord when you're like, all right, when are you going to do this? When are you going to make this happen? Like you said this was going to happen. Where are you? Your heart grows cold and you become entitled. But when you begin to wait with the Lord, you take ownership of it. You don't become to expect things and it's, and it's an excitement that builds inside of you. It changes our heart and it changes our attitudes. And then you know what? The blessing comes. Here's my encouragement to you. If God can do, do this through one man's faith journey, what can he accomplish in the small number of people that are here today? I mean, if one man, a normal man, that, that obviously had flaws, obviously, obviously had weaknesses, obviously had a few hiccups along in his faith journey, one man can do that, then what can God do through me and you? You see, sometimes we're afraid and we doubt and we're impatient because we think that we have to be somebody that we're not. Do you realize that when he called Abram, he was nothing special? He was just a guy living in the land with his family and friends, and he said, you need to go. When he called his disciples, they weren't, the, they weren't called based on their social standing. They weren't called based on their wealth or on their knowledge. Even like the song that we sing, sung today. He continually uses the broken, the unwanted, the rejected, the ones that can't speak well, right? Moses, he chose Moses with a stutter. If he can do that to us, you see, you're not called based on your social standing, based on your bank account, based on where you live, what neighborhood you're in. You're not, based on, you're not called based on your gifts or your abilities or your talents. You're called because he loves you and he cares for you. And if you'll partner with me and put faith over fear, faith over doubt, and faith over impatience, can you imagine what your life will look like? Can you imagine what your family will look like? When you become a people that, that when he says, hey, I want you to go encourage this family that you just go. Hey, I want you to go have dinner with them, and you just invite them. When he says, hey, I want you to give your car away, and you just do it. 
You don't even be like, well, Lord, I don't have another car. Uh, uh, but Lord, that, that doesn't make sense. It, it's paid off. I just paid it off. I just got used to not having a car payment. And he says, give it away. Can you imagine what that, that's going to do? You can make a difference. Faith will empower you to do what he has called you to do. The need is great, but our God is greater. So, Father, we love you. Father, let us be a people of faith here at this church. That if you say to do it, we're just going to do it. Thank you for your word. It says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who believe, it's the power of life. So, Father, let us be a people of faith that do what you've called us to do. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.